0: Welcome to Kill Chain, a platform cybersecurity podcast presented by Fleet Defender. I'm Marcus Q, and I'm here with Kendall Bricko. Hey, guys. Kendall here. And Terry Reinhart.
1: Hey, everybody.
0: All right, gentlemen, what do we have on the uh, schedule today?
2: Yeah, we're going to uh, be talking about some of the more common cyber attacks and how they can affect
0: different platforms, systems, and uh, just anything. Awesome. That actually sounds really exciting. Uh, Before we get into that, is there any Fleet Defender news that we need to share? Yeah, so Governor Pillen came out not too long ago. Oh yeah, Nebraska State Governor Jim Pillen. Yep, correct. Yeah, that was pretty cool having him come out and check out our technology and uh, see him get excited about what we're doing here. So yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, never
2: thought that I'd be talking to a state governor anytime.
0: Oh yeah, or having his security team come in and check everything out beforehand. Yeah,
2: no, that was definitely an interesting thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was a pretty good experience. But yeah, uh, yeah. So thank you, Governor, for coming to uh, to Fleet Defender to see what we're building.
2: But yeah, getting back to the cyber attack topics. Uh, so some of the, one of the most common uh, cyber attacks that you hear frequently on the news is ransomware. Um, Terry, can you kind of go into what a ransomware attack is and what
1: it does?
0: Maybe why it's so common. I feel like you're just seeing so many news stories. About yeah. It.
1: Well, you know, ransomware is exactly what it sounds like. They're holding your information technology or OT system, uh, hostage until you pay them a ransom. And so what they'll usually do is, um, a lot of times they'll trick you into opening a link, uh, running a file, something with their malware in it. Um, and then what it'll do is it'll actually encrypt your hard drive and it'll then pop up a screen that says, pay us this mini Bitcoin in order to unlock your files. So I, I always thought
0: that they actually took files off of your hard drive somewhere else. And then they would give you those files back. Once you paid, that's not what it is. They're actually encrypting the drive that's on the system.
1: Yeah. They, they might do both. Um, I do know that there have been times where ransomware attacks, um, later files were leaked. So clearly once they have access, they are grabbing your files as well. Um, but one of the more common is they would just encrypt your drive and then you'd have to, you know, get the encryption key from them in order to unlock it.
2: So kind of circling back to our previous episode, um, trojans can you use a trojan to uh, install a ransomware into a system
1: you could yeah i mean you're just basically tricking somebody and your malware is attached to whatever file it is um a lot of times it's probably just straight malware they don't even like the, the trojan is the email or the 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 social engineering aspect to get you to run it now that's not to say that if they found a zero day um, or if your system was not patched and it's still vulnerable to like an end day attack um, that they couldn't use an exploit to then gain access and install the ransomware that way. Um, but typically it's more common to just trick the user into opening it.
0: Yeah. And when you're talking about phishing, you know, cause that's really where a lot of this starts, right? Is in phishing scams and phishing emails and somebody clicks a link and that's how they gain this initial access. Is that if we talk about and take it to a simple level of just like, what is actually happening when you're clicking
1: that link? Is it that they're running an executable file of malware? It can. It it depends. Um, so if they're running an executable file, that's kind of where they trick you into opening a file. Um, if they're exploiting a vulnerability in your system, like say there's a vulnerability in a web browser, like Chrome or Firefox or Edge, whatever, um, that would be the link, and then the the actual exploit is in the web page that's loaded. That then. Attacks the vulnerability to gain access, um, but you know another interesting part of it too is you can actually put. Um, You know, we didn't really talk about viruses, um, but, you know, like a virus spreads between humans. Same thing with computer viruses. It spreads between computers. And so sometimes even the ransomware can have virus type components to it, where not only does it affect your hard drive, but it goes to every hard drive or sorry, computer, not just your computer, but every computer on the network and can actually pivot through the network. And that's how like servers get locked down or like a lot of ransomware attacks against hospitals you'll see it spread throughout like the whole hospital, even devices. Because they've been able to gain access to one computer
0: and that's their pivot point.
1: Right. Because, you know, it's just kind of like, um, like a building where your security is the front door. Um, You might have other security throughout the building, but it's usually not as strong as that initial barrier. So once you're into the network, um, you know, they'll do things like um, they'll do active directory attacks to get administrator privileges. And then with that, they can go anywhere. And so when we talk about stopping a ransomware attack,
0: is that where we talk about zero trust, right? Because it's so simple nowadays to get somebody to click a link or to open a file. Apparently, I mean, it's happening so frequently. Is that where
1: zero trust comes into play? Uh, kind of. I think one of the biggest, honestly, um, the the biggest defense is training. Uh, it's informing all your employees, your family members, everyone else, like how to spot a phishing email. I mean, I know we as a company, we're, I mean, daily, people get emails from me, not actually from me. Quote, unquote, Terry. It looks like it's from me asking for their cell phone number or asking them like, hey, I need you to look at this uh, file or hey, I need that. Uh, And so, you know, just that's why we do a lot of training on, you know, phishing attacks, insider threats and stuff here is to make sure that we... Um, have a first line of defense and that is our humans. And that's our training. Um, Then besides that, then we actually start going into making sure um, that we do what's called um, least access privileges. So that way you as an employee on your computer only have the privileges on that system that you need to do your job. You don't have administrative privileges. You can't install software. Um, That takes an administrator to do it. And so that way, If you click a link and it tries to install malware, like it won't install unless it exploits a vulnerability. If it's just trying to go through normal mechanisms, it won't install because you don't have the privileges to install it. And so like, you just have to have the defense in depth and, you know, it starts with the humans and then layers into the technology.
2: Yeah. So going back to the human, say somebody does click on a link, ransomware gets installed. How do you get rid of the ransomware is the only way to pay that ransom or there other. Uh, defensive mechanisms that you can use to try to counteract it?
1: My answer is probably going to be very benign. Uh, If you're somebody working in the classified government space with the FBI, they probably have like groups dedicated to this. So they might know more than me and have different answers. uh, If you know, this was a classified podcast. Um, But, uh, you know, you could crack the crypto, Uh, you know, if you're really good at crap cracking encryption uh if you could get the encryption key but modern day cryptography without mega resources you're not going to do that and you're also not going to spend that kind of money because your computer and the value the data on it's probably not that valuable you're not going to spend millions on trying to crack you know crypto on it um a lot of times it's either pay the ransom or from a company perspective if you were smart and you have backups And you have those backups protected in a way that the ransomware couldn't get to, then you could then take those backups and put them back in place. And so you might lose a few hours worth of data, like, you know, between the last time you backed up from when you take that backup and put it back into your live system. Um, But that's really the, the big focus right now is training people, but also making sure you have defense in depth and that you're backing up your systems.
0: And so what would be a recommendation for, let's say a company who is, you know, a young company or more like startup or small business, small business, is probably a great example who wants to protect themselves, but don't have quite the IT background to set something up or do you have recommend any resources or beyond just, you know, human
1: training? Yeah, it's, it's really difficult to be honest from like a small business perspective, like it costs money. Uh, So it is really difficult. There's a lot of online resources that you can use for training employees that are free. Um, Matter of fact, even just here locally in Nebraska, Um, A year ago, we were involved in actually generating training that the state of Nebraska uses for small businesses and provides it to small businesses for free. So check your state, check your chamber of commerce, um, places like that, where you can get training from like your small business offices and stuff like they probably have resources for you to help train you on that. But then the other thing too, is like, you know, the cloud doesn't solve everything, but Microsoft, Google, uh, Amazon, like all their clouds, like do a really good job at providing resources for you to back up your files. But you can't just back up your files. You have to back it up in a way that the ransomware can't corrupt. And so like you do have to have, I think they call it like the three-two-one rule where you have three backups, two are off-site and one is read only kind of a thing. So like you have like a, a whole process for making sure that... Um, if you get ransomware, it can't get to the thing that's going to save you.
0: Okay. What you said is, is super interesting. I've actually not heard that before the three, two, one. And, and so when you talk
1: about a read only version, can you, what does that mean? Uh, it means you can only write to the resource once and then you can't write to it again. So, like, say you have a read write resource and you back up all your files to it. Then, me as the ransomware comes in, I can still corrupt it. Cause I can still write to it. I still have the ability to overwrite what you already put there. And so even though you think you're backing up your files and you think you're doing it right and you think you have this saving grace there, uh, nope, I got that too. Uh, and so that's where like that very last one is usually like an offline one. So there are still people, believe it or not, using the old magnetic tape reels really? to back up data on and they physically take it and put it in a safe. Like wow. no joke. I
2: heard those are coming back.
1: Yeah. So like no joke. Like uh, yeah. You, with all your forensic work, you've probably learned a lot about this.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so uh, yeah, it's it's really interesting. Like ransomware is not going to get into that safe and uh, get on those mag reels.
0: That actually it reminds me of uh, like you know like everybody. I got into cryptocurrency a little bit back in like 2014, 2015, and bought one of those wallets, like uh, those Ledger wallet things. And your, your like seed key or the main password to, you know, reboot everything. They actually tell you write it on a piece of paper and put it in a safe. And I don't know why that's just the funniest thing to me is in this world of encryption and cryptography and all this amazing work on encrypting files.
1: The number one way is to just never type it in. Is write it on a piece of paper and put it in a safe. Now, here's something that's going to blow your mind. This is new and emerging. I just saw the research come out just literally yesterday. I read about it. Um, But they always just say like, if you if you have a secret and you don't want nobody to know it, never speak it out loud. Never write it down. Never say it. Just keep it in your head. Well, the research that just came out is some uh, artificial intelligence researchers actually took MRI data from MRI scans. And they were able to recreate the image that the person in the MRI machine was looking at when the MRI scan was done. So the AI is literally able to read your mind. I wow. hate that. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that scary? It's, it's like, gone too far. It, that is going too far. <laughs> I mean, the the pictures weren't one to one matches, but they were really close. Like to the point to where I was like, "Whoa!" Like we're getting really close to the point of like. Systems that can literally read your mind.
2: Wow. Well, if it was me in the MRI machine, uh, it would be pretty easy to do my pictures because I only draw stick figures. So I think it would be uh, fairly easy to figure that one out.
0: <laughs> You're thinking in stick figures.
1: Oh, thank God! I thought you were going to go somewhere wholly inappropriate for this <laughs> no, audience. No, 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 no.
0: Got to keep it PG. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, so <laughs> well, way to pivot us back, Mark. <laughs> <Yeah>, I'm, <laughs> I'm here to pivot us. Uh, so, being a platform cybersecurity podcast, uh, you know, we want to talk about attacks that can actually happen against platforms and when we talk about platforms we covered that in our last episode of kind of what a platform is and what that means so give that a listen if you hadn't Um, but one of the ones that was most interesting to me that happened is actually called Stuxnet I'm I'm sure you both are aware of Stuxnet yeah Yeah, that's a really interesting one and and tell me if I get this exactly right here but is it was a uh, attack against an industrial control system that controlled centrifuges for nuclear like nuclear material.
1: Yeah, it was enriching uranium. So it enriching was the Iranian uranium. uranium enrichment plant in Iran. Um that it was targeting the um yeah, the 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 centrifuges that are used to enrich uranium.
0: Yeah. And so the platform being the that industrial control system
1: essentially. And wasn't that launched through a thumb drive? Yeah, I think that's what it was. It was some kind of uh media that was uh put into the system in one way or another um, that then allowed it to take control and move through networks um, until it found what it was looking for. And it was interesting because, you know, there's a lot of public research, you know, they reverse engineered it and they put a lot of research out about it. And I believe if I remember correctly, there was four Windows zero days that were included um, in it. So that way it could gain access to the Windows system and then escalate its privileges uh, in order to get like root access or kernel access. So it could do more. So think of it like administrator access. It can do anything it wanted. Um, but then it also included, um, attacks and payloads against, uh, I believe it was a Siemens, um, uh, uh, control, uh, industrial control system. That was the actual thing that was, you know, controlling the motors and all the different equipment around the, uh, the centrifuge. So it was altering the operation and the behavior of the system, but then what it was displaying to the user was that it was normal behavior and that nothing wrong was happening. That's like movie level hack. Oh yeah. (laughs) Oh, at the time that was, uh, that was an incredible thing. Like when that broke, uh, that was next level.
0: And so what type of attack would you call that Stuxnet attack? Would that be a like spoofing attack man in the middle of attack? Would you, or is it, was it
1: its own thing at the time? Um, I would say it was its own thing, but we have to separate kind of like types of attacks or or techniques and then, um, you know, what they're doing and the effects on the other side. Because a cyber attack itself, like if you're just trying to gain access, there's a lot of different ways to gain access. But then what you do with that access is is different also so it wasn't a like an espionage attack but it was more of a sabotage attack like they were sabotaging a process and what was also interesting about it too is you know we've been talking for the last you know decade about this it ot convergence you know information technology and operation technology or operational technology and they've always been very distinctive things right like The systems that like the industrial control systems that run your power plant were OT systems, operational technology. Um, And then like Microsoft Office and all your business processing, your intranet, you know, all those things would be an email, all that stuff would all be on the information technology side. And they were separate. Um, Well, now we see this ITOT convergence where you on your business networks, you actually have the controls to look at the efficiency of your building, And, you know, adjust the cooling system, adjust the heating, adjust the lighting and all these things. So we've now merged these networks. It's this ITOT convergence. And so like with Stuxnet, it was really interesting because Windows is an IT, traditionally an IT system. But all the industrial control system components were an OT system. And so it really was this first like of its kind where it attacked both and it leveraged one to get to the other. It was it was actually a phenomenal thing.
0: And so we talk about that, the attack kind of what you just uh, told us about is the techniques. So when we talk about spoofing man in the middle, you know,
1: anything like that, it's actually a technique to gain access to do what you want sometimes. Right. And then there's, yeah, so there's techniques. So like spoofing is, is more of a concept of, we, we would also call that like a message replay attack. And so that's where like, you know, if you're trying to get into a door and someone says like, what's the password? And you're like, the password is monitor. Um, I overhear you say that. So then I can go up to the door, knock on it and be like monitor. And they'll let me in because I know the password. So I'm just replaying what I already heard. Um, you know, So like on a CAN bus of a vehicle, we can actually like watch the control system sending messages across the bus. Like when you go to turn on your headlights, we can see what that message traffic looks like from the actual control to the actual light. Um, and then what we can do is we can go back and we can replay that on the bus and we can turn your lights on. Not exactly a cool example, but like, let's talk about now unlocking your doors, opening your trunk, uh, disabling the, like, uh, the, the, the ignition cutoff. If the key is not present, things like that, we can now replay these messages on the bus and it'll think the key is present. It'll think you pressed the unlock button, but it's not. And so that's, that's the spoofing or the message replay attack. Like that's kind of what that is, is kind of replaying a message. Um, so that's kind of a, a technique Um, But if you want to talk vulnerabilities or exploits, like, for example, now we get into the buffer overflow, the heap spraying, the information leak, like these are actually techniques used to exploit something. So there's it's it's kind of a it's a gray fuzzy area, but there is kind of a difference. Does that make sense?
2: Yes, it, it does. So Stuxnet was a sabotage attack, um, but what if you want to shut down a system and just make it completely unusable? What are some different
1: ways that you'd be able to do that? There's a couple of different ways. I think one of the high, like the most common, and you probably heard this all over the news, is a denial of service or a distributed denial of service. So either a DOS or a DDoS attack. What are the differences between a DOS and DDoS? Um, One, well, so uh, another weird term is botnet. And so like, if I want to um, make it to where your internet doesn't work at your company or whatever, and I know your IP address, like we could do a denial of service. So we just, one example of it, uh, it's a very crude way of doing it is we just flood you with so much traffic that none of the legitimate traffic can get through. And that would be like a denial of service. But with the advent of cable modems and fiber, uh, you know, fiber uh, modems and things like that. The bandwidth is so wide. You can't use one system to then overload that. You can't generate that much traffic from one system. So then what I do is I'd create a botnet. I would go out and I would get, you know, 5,000 machines that all have my implant on it that I can control now secretly. And then I would task all of them to start generating as much traffic they could against a single IP address. So that's the distributed part. And that's like turning
2: the computer into a zombie and uh, it'd be a zombie master
1: running it. I've heard those words used. I mean, typically we don't use zombie, you know, in the cybersecurity world. I think the news would do is like, oh, this like zombie computer. I don't know. Like uh, everybody loves the the Z word. But If, if your computer was a part of that botnet, would you know it's happening? Usually not. Like it might slow down. Or you might see a spike in your bandwidth usage or something, but a lot of times you wouldn't know. Like even right now, one of the things that um, it was popular a couple of years ago, I don't know how popular it is now, but um, there were crypto miners who would install um, implants into your browser. Uh, And if they did it through like web pages that you would go to, but anyway, they would use that to like mine crypto on your system without you even knowing it. That reminds me of like, I don't remember if a news story or where I read it at, but
0: somebody got in trouble for doing that essentially with their company computers, right? As they turn their company computers into
1: a botnet to mine. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. I I don't think like, you know, from a business owner perspective, you'd see your power, you should spike. You'd see your, uh, you know, the heat in the building go up. So your AC would run more often. Uh, Yeah. That's essentially stealing from the company.
0: Yeah. So typically why would somebody want to use a DDoS? Is it just malicious intent? Is that typically why people would use a botnet or a denial of service attack?
1: Well, it really depends. Um, I mean, if you're, if you're launching against your like ex-girlfriend or something, then yeah. Or like, you know, you got fired from a company. And so like you try to DDoS them, um, you know, something like that, like personal vendetta, that could be one. Um, another one is, um, even terrorism, and not even the type of terrorism you're thinking, like eco-terrorism. So like, say, um, you know, some uh, group out there who, you know, is is really trying to to save the environment and they cross the line, they could be DDoSing ExxonMobil or something, you know, like companies that, that don't speak to what they believe in. Um, so that could be a form of like eco-terrorism or, or terrorism. Um, but there's also the aspect of militaries doing it against other militaries, you know? Like if you want to... Uh, I'm I'm kind of making this up in generalizing, but like, say you want to, um, you know, fly airplanes into denied airspace where there's, you know, um, integrated air defense systems. If you could find a way to do a denial of service against all the radars, then they'll never see the airplane. So now you can kind of fly through with impunity and no one's going to shoot at you because they don't even know you're there.
2: So if a so. company is experiencing DDoS attack, uh, how do you? Defend against it? Do you have to reset your whole network or do you need
1: to find some cyber tactic to stop it from happening? That's a great question. There's actually a lot of companies out there now that have technologies in place to prevent um, DDoS attacks and denial of service attacks. Um, you know, there's even stuff built into AWS and Azure and some of the cloud platforms and stuff that will actually detect when it's a happening and then route that traffic away and like stop it. So that way your system stays up and people can still get to it.
2: So would like whitelisting or blacklisting IP addresses, would that be
1: one tactic to try to prevent it? You can, but it's not manageable mm. because then every time a new computer comes onto the network, you got to add it to the whitelist or, you know, I mean, blacklist, you can change your IP address in a heartbeat. Yeah. You know, you can even spoof IP addresses and stuff. So like, that's not exactly the the best way of doing it. And You know, a lot of times, like, let's just make this up. Let's just say, like, you know, I'm here in the United States and I want to attack somebody in, you know, some other country. I won't launch the attack from my country because then people will know where I am. So I'll actually go and create my botnet in other countries or use them from or, or have systems in every country, you know, so that way no one really knows where it's actually coming from. And that's very simplified. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm simplifying it for the audience, but yeah, you know, it, it can get very technical very quick.
0: Being a platform cybersecurity podcast and bringing this back to flat platforms, is a DDoS or a DOS attack
1: something that you could do against, say, a car? Oh, easily. Yeah. There's actually like known denial of service attacks. Um, If you have access to the CAN bus, there's actually a very easy trick that you can use to basically shut down all traffic on that CAN bus. Like basically you just flood it with high priority messages and no other messages can get through. And it's just a vulnerability that's in the CAN protocol, just how it's designed. If that
2: happens to a vehicle, does the vehicle just get shut down, like it won't operate or what, would happen to
1: it? Yeah. We've done demonstrations of denial of services on passenger light duty vehicles and heavy duty vehicles. Um, and it does, it just starts going haywire. It'll, it can shut off the engine. Um, sometimes the engine can keep running, but it'll start making every bell and whistle go off inside the car. Like it's chaos, you know, because the car, nothing can talk to each other. And so it just starts going into all these weird air conditions. And, um, I do know that there are manufacturers that are, looking at finding ways to, um, you know, stop that from happening, but, uh, it's a very difficult problem and it's going to exist in vehicles for a long time. Yeah. I, I mean,
0: we actually have run a demo of that before and it, it's chaotic. It's complete chaos. And so if you ever want to see that fleetdefender.com. that's a good transition. That was a good, yeah, was a good one. Bad. Well, gentlemen, anything else for today? I think we
2: covered
1: a uh, quite a good topic today. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, it's been fun. I mean, we just scratched the surface. There's so much uh, to the topic, but I think, yeah, I mean, I'd be really curious to hear what everybody listening thinks. Like, did we do a good job talking about it? Did everybody track?
0: Yeah. And let us know if you've heard a story or about an attack or a hack in the past that you want us to dive in on and if something's happened to them. Yeah. Or if something's happened to you so yeah uh reach out to us at hello at fleetdefender.com or give us a look at fleetdefender.com uh and schedule a demo if you'd like to see a uh you know dos attack against the truck we can show you that so yeah all right well thank you gentlemen yeah thank yeah. you all
1: right till next time till next week